You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Ed, Family Waterproofing Solutions has been around for a while. In 2021, they were named the Southtown's Best by the Daily Southtown. They take care of everything from bowing walls to window wells to foundation crack and repair. If you have to get your gutters cleaned, you got a sump pump issue, you got yard draining systems that need to be installed. Basically, they protect your foundation and they keep water away from your home. That's very important. 24-7 they are available, 708-330-4466. They take money off if you mention socks in the basement. And now is the time they have them come out, take a look at the home, tell you what they can do, give you that estimate, and lock them in for the moment that everything starts to thaw. FamilyDry.com. What a difference a family makes and what a difference it makes to have a co-host like you, my friend, who was able to step in with our good friend Jordan Lazowski from Saxon 35th on the last show as I am still recovering from the Rona. It finally got me, Ed. It, it took almost two years since the Rona came out, okay, or at least made it stateside, all right? And and, and then finally, it finally caught up to me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It attacked the weakest part of my body, which happens to be my vocal cords, and I'm probably at about 90% right now, and I'm just happy to be able to speak. I don't know if my wife and kids are happy I can speak, because I spent about five, six days unable to say anything to anybody, and now I just never stop talking. Well, I was happy to, to jump in and help you out. I, I, I was, you know, sorry to hear about it. I mean, we did have a little fun with it at, you know, the concept of you as, say, a, a spy on the walls of the owners as we're getting ready to have them... Uh, maybe ever make a, a, another pitch to the players. But, I, you know, I, I understand how it goes. I mean, I had a bout with it. I've known other people who've had bouts with it. And, you know, sometimes, man, you just get sick. And when you can't talk, you can't talk. And when you can't answer the bell, you can't answer the bell. But, uh, you know, Jordan and I were happy to step in and talk White Sox baseball with people. And if the sponsors didn't call and complain, I guess we're, we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if they called or complained because I basically turned my phone off. Like, this is the first time, I think, ever – that I just basically said, you know what? I'm, I'm not talking to anybody. Like, I, I've just been the worst at everything. I haven't this gotten literally back. is the first time you've ever said that, I, that you're not talking to anybody. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to speak to anybody. I, I was just like, like, there were there were moments during it that I was making promises. Like, God, if I could just start to feel a little bit better, I, I swear I won't do these things ever again. Like, it was like, I was like, there was one night where I was pretty sick. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. You know, and I've, I've had my vaccines. I, I, I actually told my wife, I was like. Probably a good thing I got the vaccine. Pro- probably a good thing. Because I, like, I feel like I would have been one of those people on their way over to Christ Hospital. Like, that's how bad I felt at one point. I was like, eh, vaccine might have made a difference there. That's that's kind of, it's not, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying me personally, I went through it. I was like, eh, it might have helped a little bit. Okay. I also am talking like the way I'm talking right now. I, I've been watching nothing but Curb Your Enthusiasm. I watched all 11 seasons. I can't believe I never watched that show before. I've decided I completely relate with Larry David now. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to, from now on, just be insulting to people because it's hysterical. 
Like I was like, I was like, Larry David is me when I'm having a bad day and I bump into people I don't like. And I, I mean, like I couldn't even laugh because I was too sick to laugh some of the days that I was there. So I would get like this little smile. But in my brain, I was like, that's funny. So I, I if I sound a little bit like him, it's because he's the only person I've had any kind of conversation with for the last week. Me and Larry David through Curb Your Enthusiasm. And, and that's probably why I want to start off the show with just some things that have annoyed me over the last week. And actually just things things annoyed you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not even annoyed me. Just one thing that made me kind of curl my nose and go, what? Did you see this stupid thing that they did? They're going to have one of their bobbleheads be the guy with the cane. Yes, I did see the cane guy bobblehead. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Guy with the canes getting a bobblehead. Why? Why is guy with the cane getting a bobblehead? Is this all I have to do now to get a bobblehead? Will there be a bobblehead of me if I pick up an inanimate object and get caught on television waving it at players and then people start to believe that I have some sort of magic power? If that if that power was so magical, why did we lose game four? Are you telling me that the moment of game three that you want to capture in a bobblehead is a dude in the stands who had a few too many beers and started waving his cane on television? We're going to do a whole bobblehead day for that? Like, I, I mean, look, he's probably a sweet guy, okay? I don't even know if he was drinking, but I would imagine there was probably some alcohol intake to get to the point where you're waving your cane like it's a magical wand at every person that comes up to the plate. And then the people around you clearly probably had a few drinks as well to start believing that it actually had something to do with the outcome of the game. But this is what, like, I get it. They they, they don't want to talk about the players during the lockout. So maybe this was like a, an assignment, you know, like somebody in there, I don't know if it's Brooks Boyer or whoever else comes up with these bobbleheads, sat down with their team and said, look, we have to come up with something, but we can't use any of the players because of the lockout. So somebody said, the guy with the cane. And they're like, yeah, what the hell? But I, I, I just like, I, I saw that and I was like, you know that we're all starved for, for something from the White Sox when people are getting excited over that. I was, I, I just, I looked at it and I was like, really? This is where we're at at this point. Please end this lockout. Please, God, please end it now. In other words, what Chris is saying is that, Brooks, if you're listening, instead of a cane guy bobblehead, Chris would like a bobblehead of himself standing behind his microphone with his arms up in the air screaming about something. <laughs> I, I mean, we're, we're at a point where I, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate the idea. I mean, I, it's something that was a fleeting moment. I don't know if it's really that meaningful. But frankly, if if they're going to do bobbleheads, there's only so many bobbleheads that you can have of, you know, Jose Abreu's swing follow through. You know, you can't really I I guess you could do a bobblehead of like Brian Goodwin's bat flip from last year, you know, where you have the bat like way up in the air. and The bobblehead is about a foot tall. Here's an idea, Ed. If we're going to do bobbleheads of fans, why don't we have a cup snake bobblehead? Like it just a, like a like we just show the we show the left center field bleachers right and we just have a big row of cup snakes and then it bobbles back and forth oh you know onto the field and off to the field we can do a, we can do a cup no, snake no. bobblehead I, I I want I want a cup snake lava lamp where it's it's the left field bleachers <laughs> with the cup snake and then the lava going through it that's right, what right. I want maybe we could have a bobblehead of uh of like you know a parking attendant standing out there completely confused as to how to empty the lot. You know, if we're going to we're going to go crazy with moments from last year to have nothing to do with the players. How about a bobblehead of a bunch of people standing in line, unable to get into the ballpark until the third inning? Can we create something like that? Like, it's just like a bunch of people, like almost like a bobble gate where they're just outside the gate. They're about to walk through the gate. But then as you bobble it, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. But they never make it fully into the stadium 
and it shows somewhere on the wall that it's already the third inning. And there's like a big line of people behind him. Can we do that bobblehead as well? Like if we're like if we're gonna try to capture moments that are not player related, I have some other ones besides just Kane guy. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know what? I like those bobbleheads, honestly. <laughs> I, I I think we're on to something here. I I've I think we could we could probably spend the entire half hour of this show going through no. various bobblehead no. possibilities, no. but uh, we're not doing that. We got James nah. Fox. He's coming up here next. Uh, he's going to talk lockout. He's going to talk international signings. We're going to get to him. And then you and I, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about how this lockout is driving us nuts. And maybe maybe then we can reapproach it as well. And I know you have another point that you want to make about ownership of sports teams in general in Chicago. There's so much to get to. This is Socks in the Basement. Found anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. On the phone line with me right now, a great friend of the show. I really appreciate him coming on last minute, too, because... You know, normally I try to plan these things way out in advance. And it was like, hey, wait, I could talk again. I'll bring James Fox on the show and we'll talk lockout and we'll talk international signings. And this is just perfect. And James is like, I got nothing to do. I'll jump on Socks in the basement. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. You're over there at Future Socks and Southside Socks. You you do a great job of just kind of, you know, plucking the little nuggets and sometimes being out in front of things. And before we get into the lockout, I want to kind of explain that a little bit. You were the first guy and you and future socks, like the whole group right away telling everybody, you know, Norgay Vera, that's the pitcher. That's the best guy. You're the first people that were talking about. That might be the best guy in their system. You just put out an article recently where you ranked all the pitchers. The thing I noticed was uh, publications like baseball America also see him as the best pitcher on the white Sox staff. I mean, you feel good when you see the bigger publications finally catch up to you guys. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like Nor- like Vera should be obvious at this point, I guess, kind of just because of, like, I, like some of the step back that some of the prep arms took. And it's not even that they, like, took a step back. They just take forever. I mean, Norhe Vera, you know, for anybody that read the piece, you know, it's not many innings. It was, like, 19 innings in the Dominican Summer League or whatever. But the stuff was so good that, like, everybody took notice. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I'm curious to see, you know, what some of the other publications have to say. Baseball America had him ranked high. I mean, I think he'll either be one or two for us once we do, like, the actual top 30. So, yeah, he's definitely a guy to watch. I saw something today from Dominican reporter Francis Romero that he is, you know, he's, like, stateside now. Like, I think he's in Arizona. So, um, you know, he'll be a, he'll be at a stateside affiliate. He should be probably high in Winston-Salem, and everybody will get a chance to see him. So, 
Yeah, he's a he's a guy worth paying attention to for sure. So international signings coming up on Saturday. The lockout is not going to prevent that. I know from talking to you many times on this show, I should expect Oscar Colas on Saturday to join the White Sox. Uh, is that a foregone conclusion for sure? And who else do you think they're going to end up signing? Yep. So the Oscar Colas thing finally happens. Um, they should announce it Saturday. You know, they made a huge production out of the Cespedes thing last year. So, I mean, I would imagine the first day he's eligible to sign, I'll do it, which is Saturday. The other name is Eric Hernandez. He's a 17-year-old Dominican outfielder that can play all three spots. Um, he actually, he seems pretty significant. I've heard this bonus is like around a million dollars. They don't typically give that much money to 16-year-olds. I think this is the highest upside teenager they've signed since Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, I think this is a, it's a, it's a pretty good one. And he'll be, you know, in the top 30 immediately. He's super young, obviously, and he's going to play in the Dominican Summer League. But, you know, and then they do have like more money. I mean, that's like 3.7 million of the 5.4 that they're able to spend. So I haven't been able to figure out any of their other signings. So, you know, they'll have some, they'll have traditional signings out of Dominican and Venezuela for four or 500 K stuff like that. But I mean, if you look at the list that we just published at future socks, I mean, these guys are littered on those lists, like a third base list that I did personally. I mean, there was a Dominican third base when they signed this year. And then there was a Dominican third base when they signed last year. I mean, those are like, you know, some of the top 50 ish prospects in their system. So they are adding like a lot of bats that are just like super young that'll be in rookie ball. You know, one of the things that you brought up on the show before is that the White Sox don't have a ton of these players that they go out and get in international signings that are then capital that they can use later. They basically spend like a big chunk of their, their money on one big name. And from what you're saying right there, yeah, Colas, yeah, yeah, this other kid, this infielder, the 16-year-old, and both of those sound interesting, but it sounds like they also have more money to spend where in previous years, they basically blow it all on one or two guys. Is it, Are they doing something different this year? So the one thing they don't do is when you when you look at these, like if you go look at the list at MLB Pipeline, right, your top guys are like 16-year-olds and they get like $4 million, $5 million. The Sox don't do that. Um, you know, they do do like a quantity approach where they sign like a bunch of guys with their limited money, but they, but they have kind of prioritized like older Cubans when they become available. So I think it was like a notable shift. Like I think they're, you know, cause even Norhe Vera is like 21. Um, Gilbert Sanchez was like 23 when he signed Cespedes and Colas are both older. So, I mean, like if you're getting some more advanced like Cuban names on the international market and then deciding to draft more high schoolers, you know, I think that makes some sense. So, you know, the, the thing that I always kind of harped on was that they just like don't, really give out big bonuses to the 16 year old. They don't take those chances. But the problem with that is like, I mean, you're, you're paying these kids, you're scouting and paying them when they're like 14. So, you know, I just like, don't know how slimy they want to be. I, I think this is a step in the right, a guy like Eric Hernandez, is definitely a step in the right direction though. They don't, they don't typically go out for, for guys like this, you know, I mean, Mike Rodolfo was one that was all the way back in 2013. They gave him one and a half million dollars. But then since then, you know, it's usually 600, 700 K for their top guys. Like even Fernando Tatis was like 700,000, I think. So now let's get over to the lockout and I, I'm going to say it right here. I was wrong. And, and, the, and the reason that I was wrong was not because it, it didn't make sense to say this thing isn't going to last a long time. It made perfect sense. You looked at how close they were. You're like, well, why wouldn't they get this done? But what I didn't factor in was that the owners 
have somehow learned that it doesn't matter if they have a full baseball season. And I'm starting to feel like they don't want a full baseball season and that they intend to try to find anything they can do to break down the union, uh, shorten the season, and there's some kind of financial gain to them. I'm losing faith. Am I crazy to be losing faith in this lockout getting solved on time? Um, you're, you're not crazy. <clears throat> I don't think they're going to miss games, though. I, I, don't, I don't think they can. I think they were content missing games before. You know, obviously, they played 60 games without fans. Now, with fans, like, they're going to they're gonna want to play. I think they're going to play 162. I, you know, like, Bob Nightingale gets a bad rap, and rightfully so in most cases, because he hears things and, like, reports them sometimes, like, instead of, like, vetting stuff. You know, but he had an article on the lockout yesterday, and, and he's adamant that this thing ends no later than February 15th, if not earlier. I wouldn't be surprised if they miss some spring training, but I'd be very surprised if they miss regular season baseball games. Now, you know, MLB is currently working on a proposal. Both sides are going to have to, like, figure this out, obviously. And, like, you know, I know, like, most people are pro-player, and, like, I am too. But the problem the players have is they're asking for so much stuff, and they've given away the farm in the last two CBAs. Like, there's no way that they're going to get a little bit back. So some of the tanking stuff, like, I don't I don't really know how you stop. The big thing is, like, they, they, they got to try to get players paid sooner. And, you know, one thing that Bob said is the two sides realized that it would be catastrophic to be $11 billion industry for a work stoppage, making the 94-95 strike look like nothing more than aggravating than a rain, nothing more aggravating than a rain delay. And the two sides realized this. So I think, you know, like, Passon just wrote something last week about it. I think they're going to talk eventually, um, but the players are going to have to come off some of the demands because, like, even, like, Rob Manfred needs – he needs 23 owners, right, for, like, something to pass. Like, so unless he knows he has 23, like, it's going to be no dice, right? And I think some of this stuff is easy. Like, we've talked about universal DH, that's happening. Expanded playoffs, that'll happen. That stuff's easy. Even, like, you know, some of the rule changes and, like, changes of draft, whatever. You know, teams can't receive a top five draft pick three years in a row, like, something. There will be some sort of lottery to, like, try to stop tank. I think the major tenant for the players, the thing they should focus on the most, should be a significant rise of the minimum salary. Bob Nightingale suggests up to 700K, whatever. That's fine. You know, and then the luxury tax on the high end should go higher so that the teams that want to spend actually can. Like a salary floor, that's, that's never happening because the poor teams don't want to spend money. So like some of the stuff they're just going to have to stop. They're just going to have to drop. And once they do that, like, I think there's a path toward an agreement, but we're not really there yet. You know, the salary floor thing, that's been the one thing that's been driving me nuts as somebody that sat inside of a room and done union negotiation and had to do it for labor. And for, for me to keep hearing them say, well, we want them to spend a certain amount of money, but we don't want a cap. There's no way you're going to force a bunch of billionaires to spend money then they don't get something back where they get a guarantee that they're not going to have to overspend on the higher end players. There's just, there's no way you're ever going to get that. And it seems to be the thing I keep hearing coming out of players' mouths in interviews now. Like they, that, that seems to be a talking point all the time. Is that one of the big things they got to fall back of and be like, okay, 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 just go for minimum salary. Just try to help out there and try to work on when we get to being free agents, because it doesn't seem to me like you're going to convince a bunch of people, Hey, you need to spend more uh, on your team, all of you have to spend this minimum, but there's no maximum to what we can sign for. 
Yeah, like I think you can I think you can essentially create a salary floor by raising the minimum significantly, right? Because if players are making one and a half or two million dollars in their second year, well, I mean that already raises it, right? Because if you have twenty five guys making more than that, like everybody's gonna rise. I think the players' big issue is like the revenue sharing model. The big market teams share with the small market teams and the small market teams just take that money and don't spend it. Now you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure how you solve that. I think one thing that I really disagree with the players on is like they equate spending more with winning and both of us know that that's not true, right? Like if you made the Pittsburgh Pirates spend $70 million next year, okay, great. So they're just going to like take on Dallas Keuchel and take on Justin Upton and take on all these bad contracts and still be terrible anyway. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's like not how you get teams to compete more. You know, I don't, I don't really know how you, how you fix 10 to 12 teams tanking at one time. That's higher than my pay grade. But I do think there's a path to a deal here, and the, the players have to chip away. They have to get a couple of things this time and then get a couple of things five years from now and then five years after that. Like, they're not, they're not giving it all, getting it all back after they've given up so much the last two times. And honestly, like, that's unfortunate for them. But, look, the owners know it. This happens in every sport. The owners know that, like, eventually, like, 70% of your players, your rank-and-file players, are, are not going to be able to go without a paycheck, and they're going to pressure, like, the union to, like, take a deal. And, and I think they're banking on that like every other sports ownership group has ever done ever. James Fox is a writer, editor, Future Sox, Southside Sox. If you never have read any of his articles, uh, they're always great reads when they come out. He's a great follow as well on Twitter. Uh, make sure you look him up. But before I let you go here, James, uh, give me a couple of predictions as to what you think is going to end up in this final agreement. I mean, is there something that you're sitting there going, yeah, they're definitely going to change how a guy becomes a free agent, or they're definitely going to change how guys get paid, or they're definitely going to change revenue sharing. Like what, what do you see that you think is going to definitely in your mind? I mean, I, I don't expect you to be perfect on this, but as you craft in your brain, looking at both sides here, what do you think we're going to see that's new when this thing gets done, hopefully by mid February? I mean, I think the DH is coming in both leagues for sure. I mean, I think we all know that the playoffs will be expanded. I don't know whether it'll be 12 teams or 14. Like I said, the min I think the minimum goes up because that's the easiest thing to agree to. And I think the luxury tax number raises significantly, right? Because players just want to get paid. They shouldn't care. Like, like if the Pirates don't want to spend any money, there's no reason why the Mets and the Dodgers shouldn't be able to spend $300 million if they want to. Like, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, in a, in a league that's not capped, that's probably what happens. And then my guess is, too, the other thing, I think there will be some sort of minor change to free agency. Like, it's not going to be just six years anymore. I think it'll be six years unless you're, like, some like 28 and a half or something, then you could be a free agent after five or after four, like something along those lines, I do think will change. And then something possibly with the, like with the arbitration system too, you know, like right now players don't make anything the first three years, like even the really good ones. So there has to be some sort of incentive like they do in other leagues. Like if you're a second year player and you made the all-star game, you know, maybe that's a million dollar bump, like stuff like that. But I think stuff like that should be easy to negotiate. The problem is they're not even talking and you, you've negotiated contracts. Do you understand it? They, they honestly just need to get to the table and it's like, you know, we're throwing this out. Okay, we're throwing this out. And it's just like 
bartering back and forth, and then you finally figure out something. But, you know, I, I would be very surprised at this point if they miss regular season baseball games still as contentious as this seems. James Fox, make sure you check out everything that he does at Future Sox and Southside Sox. My friend, I appreciate it every time you come on the show. Uh, you set my mind at ease a little bit by telling me that you believe this thing is going to be over in time, that we won't miss any games. I'm getting a little bit nervous about it. We got to get back to something going on with the front office. We need a second baseman. We need a right fielder. We need more pitching. We need things. We're not ready yet. And uh, I don't care what happens here with the collective bargaining agreement. I just don't want it to affect my team's chances of winning a World Series. I, I just I just want them to get rolling again and... Uh... So we have rumors to look at. I I really miss baseball rumors. (laughs) And have you ever made a trip to Blue Island? You ever ever been down there into the, uh, the Blue Island area? I have stumbled across Blue Island from time to time. It is an interesting spot. It is a very interesting place and and an eclectic group of people live in Blue Island. My wife actually tells me that when she drives through Blue Island, it reminds her of growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia. Like the, the way the buildings are, the, the the way that everything is kind of shaped. It's like it's like little West Virginia on the south side. And it's not a bad thing because those people out there are kind of cool. All right. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but she's she basically my wife who's from there calls it the West Virginia of uh, the south side of Chicago. OK, the good parts of West Virginia and located right in there is a really awesome bar that is a darts bar known as the Double Play Saloon. Now, this place has a Thursday handicap dart league. Every Thursday, 7.30, they're playing three to eight players on a team, seven matches a night, 10-week-long season, and the signups are all going to be on February the 3rd from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. If you want any details as to how to join this league that is kicking off on February 17th in Blue Island, call or text Tommy for details, 773-574-0992. But anytime you're in that area, stop by Double Play Saloon. They've got daily $5 basket lunch specials. $13 Miller and Bud Family Buckets, and they also have temperature soup. Whatever the temperature is outside, that's how much the soup costs. I mean, you're getting a deal on soup these days, okay? I mean, we're talking 10 cent soup right now. I mean, like this is is where you go get your soup from Double Play. They got good food out there. They got a big giant bar. It's a beautiful place to go hang out at. 13011 Western Avenue in Blue Island. Also check out the new remodeled private gaming area and check out Double Play Saloon online through your Facebook.com. So uh, you wanted to talk real quick, and we can get into the lockout thing, but I, I thought this was interesting. Maybe maybe this is more of an interesting thing to talk about towards the back end of this show than the fact that I'm very nervous that this lockout is going to take away games. Because I feel like these owners, if they've done any kind of algorithm, if somebody sat down, some, some money guy, and said, you know what, if we only play 140 games, we would actually make more money. You know, and then they, they'll purposely start the season late because it's all about money. It's not about baseball. It's never been about baseball. Rob Manfred does not care about the game of baseball. Okay. He just cares about making money for his, for his bosses. That's obvious. All right. So I don't know if I want to get into that rant because I, I thought you had a really interesting thing that you wanted to talk about because the Chicago Bears fired their coach, fired their GM. There was just a, a press conference. I know we don't normally talk about Bears stuff, but you want to do a comparison of the of those two franchises. Well, I mean the the Bears, you know, I was listening to the the press conference, right? And they're asking George McCaskey, "What is it about your role in all of this? How how are you held accountable for these failures that, you know, we sound like we 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 did 7 years ago in 2015 when you hired Ryan Pace and then he hired Matt Nagy." And I was thinking about it and you know, 
as Sox fans, we're obviously, and in the guise of the lockout in particular, we're obviously sitting here and we're worried about Jerry Reinsdorf, right? He permeates through the offseason talk because we're worried about his budget. We're worried about the whole concept of what David Sampson, you know, that story and, and always finish second, leave him wanting just a little bit more. To paraphrase him, not to directly quote either Samson or Jerry, but, you know, we're always really worried about this. But within the scope of Chicago sports owners, where do you put Jerry Reinsdorf? Because I think he is really towards the top of sports owners that we've had in this town. Well, here's the thing. In Chicago, not a bad sports owner. When I try to compare him against owners around the entire spectrum of professional sports, I don't rank him very high because I say the guy's been around now for what, 30 years, 40 years? He's got one world years. championship. Yeah, he's got one world championship with the, the White Sox. All right. I don't count the Bulls ones. I see him as a separate owner. As a Bulls owner, better owner than as a, a White Sox owner, just in terms of his results. I look at those kind of things. That said, when I look at the whole thing going on with the Bears, what I'm struck with is a couple of things. One, people are all upset. I can see this. People are all upset, like, well, who answers the who in the Bears? Well, in on one sense, the fact that whoever's going to be the next general manager of the Bears is going to answer directly to the owner and there's going to be nobody in between, that's pretty good. Rick Hahn doesn't get to do that. He's got Kenny sitting in between him, right? Like, if all of a sudden Rick Hahn left and you were a general manager who could do either football or baseball equally, I know that that isn't true, that there's no such person that exists, and you got to choose, you'd much rather go to the team where you have one less boss, Right. So that, I guess that's a positive for the Bears. But on the other hand, I'm starting to feel like the, the like Papa Bear Hallis, he never discussed his business at home. Like the, the kids and the grandkids would be like, Papa Bear, Papa Bear, can you talk to us about football? And he'd tell them to shut up. I'm not talking football at the dinner table because they don't seem to understand anything about the game of football in any way. Like no wisdom. <laughs> yeah. No wisdom was passed down. Like he might have been a great, brilliant football mind. He's the father of the NFL, whatever. He didn't tell these kids anything. He just basically, like, there was no football talk at the at the table. That's what I believe. Like, they, they never spoke football. Or he told them too much, and they, they refused to change because this is the way Dad did it, even though he's been gone now for 40 years. No, I think he told them, shut up, I don't want to ever talk about football with any of you, okay? You're all idiots. I'm the only person that talks football. Never discussed my family business. You know, he was like Michael Corleone. He was standing there, he's like, nah, nah, nah. don't ever ask me about my business, all right? Just enjoy the big house. Just enjoy all you have. I'm the football guy. Shut up. Or he was like, or he's like, you know, like I had family members that had like recipes that they always planned on passing on, but they never passed them on. Like, that's kind of what George was like. You know, Papa Bear was kind of like, ah, I'll tell you eventually. And then he was dead and he never, he never passed it on. In the meantime, I feel like Jerry Reinsdorf in his years around baseball, honestly loves baseball and is smart enough to surround himself with baseball minds and has some concept of what's good baseball and what's bad baseball. And when it's time to make moves. All right. Now you could yell about his budget and everything like that, but I trust him to have more of a knowledge about the sport that he's the owner in than the McCaskies. So I guess if I had to compare the two of them, I'd still go Jerry, even though sometimes I get frustrated with some of the things that he does. You know, the shortcoming on Manny Machado, I put that on Jerry. Okay. There's certain things that have happened over the years. I put on Jerry. On the other hand, I still have faith that he is going to put together a good budget this year. We're going to have a team that's going to be competitive. I still don't think it's as bad as, let's say, being a, a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and knowing you're going to have a $30 million payroll because that guy's cheap, right? So, I mean, like, there there are pluses to what he does over there. And I would say, if I had to pick, 
which one I'd rather have owning my team. I take Reinsdorf over McCaskey seven days a week and twice on Sundays. You know, it's something I think that that merits consideration that as we sit here and we complain about Jerry's budget and everything that, yeah, maybe he's not George Steinbrenner, you know, uh, it, it, if you're going to go for like the guy that figured out how to put championships together. Um, but his kids also speaking of, the, you know, in the Hallis sense, I don't think the Steinbrenners had many conversations about baseball. <laughs> Boy, the Yankees really aren't that good, are they? No, not not really. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, what do you think? Uh Jerry Reinsdorf bobblehead. What would that look like? How would that work? How would, it, how would that be? Would that be like one of those things where like he, it's not really his head that's moving, but it's like his arm and in it is a stack of cash, but he's always yanking it back or pulling it forward. And you're supposed to, you have to interpret is he spending or not spending, but you're not really sure because it's constantly moving back and forth. I, I had the exact same thought as you were saying that, but in my <laughs> mind, he had his wallet and it was bobbling in and out of his pocket. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.